So thank you all for coming out. If you're visiting with us, my name's Larry Harp. I'll be teaching our Bible class tonight. Of course, we have classes for children of all ages as well. So thank you for coming out and being with us. <laughs> Y'all are laughing. You know who this is, right? So who is this for anybody that might not know? Ernest T. Bass. Ernest T. Bass. What show was he on? Andy Griffith. What do you remember about Ernest T. Bass? Through rocks, didn't he? He gave Andy and Barney a fit all the time. And most of the townspeople chasing girls around and sneaking around in the bushes, climbing trees and hollering and cutting up. So that's what you remember about Ernest T. Bass. Uh, probably the only guy in town that liked Ernest T. was the guy that owned the glass shop, I would guess. So the next picture, some of you might have seen this floating around on Facebook. See what that says? The older I get, the more I understand why Ernest T. Bass threw rocks at people. So a little bit of a flip perspective there. You know, originally we watched Ernest T. Bass on there and he was giving all the townspeople fits and problems and all the time climbing trees and chasing the girls and sneaking around in the bushes. You never knew when he was going to pop out. And of course, he kept Andy and Barney busy and it seemed crazy, you know. So he was one of the most popular characters on the Andy Griffith Show and he only appeared in five episodes ironically, but everybody remembers him and it's an immediate reaction. Y'all laughed when I put the picture up. I mean, that's the way, that's the way, you know, we are too when we see Ernest T. Bass. And it's funny, but the people that were there in town dealing with Ernest T., it's, it, it wasn't, it wasn't funny having to deal with him, all that jumping around and carrying on like what he done. So why do you think he threw rocks and acted and carried on like he did? And this isn't going to be a study about Ernest T., I promise. Get attention? You know, he thought most of the time other people wouldn't do what they were supposed to do, right? And that was the way that he could get attention or he could make them or steer them to, to make them do what he wanted them to do. So we look at that from the outside looking in and we're fond of Ernest T. Of course, the town people were driven a little bit crazy by him with all the stuff he was doing. And we look at that situation and we think that Ernest T. was probably the crazy one, but do you ever remember an episode where Ernest T. realized that he was aggravating? Do you ever remember an episode where he realized that? I don't. So Ernest T. all the time didn't realize he was being aggravating. All the townsfolks thought that he was. And then we're watching from the outside in, and we like him because we're not really having to deal with him. We're just watching all the antics and things that he does. So... You've got two different perspectives. You've got the townspeople that he's driving crazy. You've got Ernest T. that thinks he's doing what he needs to be doing. He's just trying to get attention and make them do what they're supposed to do. But all the while, he doesn't understand that he's being aggravating. But the townspeople know that. So that's going to lead us into what we're going to talk about tonight. We're going to talk about loving each other. It's what we're going to talk about. And I heard a giggle or two there, too. So you might think that that's a waste of class time for us, Cookville Church of Christ, to stand here and talk about or sit here and talk about loving each other. You've seen the love that's between us through all the things that's went on through this weekend, all the work that's been done. We've got a great love between us. But I got to thinking about that. You know, at some point, normalcy, normalcy, trying to say that word, will set in. We'll come to this building enough times that this will be normal. We'll meet together with each other and this will be normal. At some point, the utopia of us being together and everything we've experienced 
we'll get a little bit further away from that, and I don't want us to forget about that. So as we start into this journey in this new building and we enjoy this time together, I mean, y'all don't need anybody to tell you to love each other right now. That's obvious. People come and visit. They feel it. They can see it. That's why they want to be here with us. And I know as time goes on, our new normal will set in and we'll get more used to that. And I don't want us to be that we forget to love each other like we do now. You know, the situation in in Mayberry, they had to have a lot of tolerance for Ernest T., uh, Andy and Barney especially. And I guess he had to tolerate them a little bit. Now, what if you figured out that you were the Ernest T. at Cookville Church Christ? Well, you probably wouldn't because Ernest T. didn't know. But we're going to have some of that. Sometimes we're going to have disagreements and things are going to happen. And You know, a few things that I listed out, these are some things that I know. I know we have a bond with each other because of our love for God and a love for His written Word, for His Scriptures. I know this bond was strengthened tenfold with all that we went through in the past few months. And it bonded us tightly together. I also know that uh, with change, sometimes, let me back up, I missed one. I know there's been a lot of change in the last week and there will be more change as we work to make this building and grounds ours. I also know that with change, sometimes come disagreements, different points of view, of how to accomplish a task. I mean, it's just going to be that way. We're all unique and special in our own way. We've got our own ideas. And we need to learn how to mesh that together. I mean, we're doing a great job of it now, but like I said, in the future, going forward. I know with all the work that's been going on and many of us being sleep-deprived and tired at times, that sometimes it can cause us to be grumpy. I know sometimes we have to remind ourselves that we love this person standing in front of us with a different opinion than what we happen to hold ourselves at that moment. I also know that this building, this building that we're standing in is not the Cookville Church of Christ. We are. This building is simply a shelter that we come to be together, worship together, and to fellowship together in. I know that we're going to grow and add new members. That's already happening. It's what we're called to do, and it's a wonderful thing. It's how God's plan for us is supposed to work as we gather together here and people come in and they see this, the love and the bond that we have together, uh, they're going to want that too. So we're going to grow. So I know that's going to happen. So let's look at John 13 and 34 will be our first scripture that we look at. We can probably turn Ernest T off here. It's the only part of the PowerPoint I had. I was a little cramped for time, so I didn't get a PowerPoint. But John chapter 13 and verse 34 says, A new commandment I give you that you love one another, as I have loved you, that you also love one another. It's an example that Christ gave us of how he loved us. He wants us to love each other that way. By this, all will know that my disciple, that you are my disciples. By this, you all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. When we have visitors, they'll be able to see and feel the happiness that we have here. And people will want that for themselves and their own family. I've been told multiple times by folks that have visited here with us 
that they could tell that there was a love and a closeness with this congregation of people. They can feel it and they can see it amongst us. So they want that for themselves. So tonight we're going to look at several scriptures and see what God says about loving one another. So how would you define love before we get into those scriptures? How would you define love or how would you describe it? different kinds. You know, if you look at the dictionary, the dictionary makes it real simple, kind of generic, and that's the way our society often looks at it. The dictionary says an intense feeling of deep uh, deep affection. It's like an affection that comes from within that you really can't control. That is just there. That's the way society looks at love. But we know there's more to it than that. Did you know that the Scripture gives us the definition of love as well as some guidelines? of how we're supposed to love one another. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13. That's where we're going to spend most of our time tonight in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We're going to look pretty closely at what all it says. and A lot of good stuff there, starting in chapter, uh, chapter 13, starting in verse 4. We'll read through it and then we'll go back through and we'll pick it apart and talk about each individual thing. 1 Corinthians 13 and 4 says, Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy, love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely and does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity but rejoices in the truth, bears all things and believes all things and hopes all things and endures all things and love never fails. But whether there be prophecies, they will fail, and whether there are tongues, they will cease, and whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. That last part there, the rest... Part of verse 8 is not really what we're focusing on tonight, but he's writing to the Corinthian church to let them know that the miraculous gifts that they have of speaking in tongues and prophesying and knowledge, that that'll fall off. That'll go away. It was gifts that they enjoyed having because they didn't have the written word. When the written word came, that which is in part would be done away with, which was the spiritual gifts that they had to help them conduct their worship services and to know what God wanted them to do. So that's not going to be our focus tonight. But he says that love, love stays. It doesn't fail. So we'll back up and look at the first part of it. Love suffers long and is kind. If you love someone, you'll be patient with them. You won't be quick to condemn or criticize. So even when somebody's being difficult or they have different ideas or they're, they're going about things differently than you would, love, because you love this person, then it will cause you to suffer long. You'll give them room. You'll have tolerance with them and you'll be kind. Love does not envy. Envy is defined as a look, uh, to look with ill will or be pains to the good fortune of another. You can't love somebody if it bothers you, if somebody has good fortune. Uh, if you love them, you won't, you won't be bothered by that. Love does not parade itself or is not puffed up. Love doesn't vaunt itself. This is a definition of being puffed up or parading itself. Love doesn't vaunt itself. It's not puffed up with pride. To vaunt is to boast or to brag to puff up and be proud. This trait which love does not have will cause a person to push himself forward as being important. It creates a feeling of superiority. So if you're a person that doesn't have the proper love toward your fellow man, it'll cause you to exalt yourself and to push yourself forward as a feeling of superiority and is expressed in disregarding another or holding him in contempt. Love does not oppose self-confidence. It does resist overconfidence. So there's a lot of difference in self-confidence and overconfidence. Overconfidence will cause you to disregard 
the opinions and the feelings of those around you. Self-confidence will make you confident in what you know and what you understand, but it'll also give you the opportunity to consider opinions and thoughts and feelings of others if you have the proper love. It does not behave rudely. Now, what's the opposite of being rude? Not a trick question. Kind. It's kindness. That's pretty simple, but it's hard to remember sometimes. Um, to be courteous, to show consideration of others, to be respectful of their feelings, being gentle in dealing with them, and refusing to be hateful and spiteful. What a change that every community in the U.S. would have if everyone had that view. It doesn't seek its own. This type of love doesn't cause a person to seek his own advantage, but is unselfish. If you have a type of love that doesn't seek its own, you're not a selfish person. You're unselfish, and it doesn't search after and require its own happiness first to the injury or neglect of others. However, this does not require that we ignore our own happiness, health, and salvation. So there's a balance there with that too of how we go about interacting with other folks. Love is not provoked. Now I like the Winton commentary that GBN has on for free. It's a very good commentary. And I was reading in that commentary and I like how it talks about this section where love is not provoked. The Winton commentary says, one who is under the influence of Christian love is not quick to be angry, but controls the temper. He is calm and collected and is not easily excited. It does not react hastily or rashly. He looks soberly at life and circumstances of day-to-day living. Flying off the handle is not a proper picture of Christian life. But no one can live above occasional relapse into sin. We live in a complex society and at a time where the great majority are departing from the moral standard of God's Word. It is easy for us to lose control of our emotions and give vent to wrath. It is easy to say or do things that are hurtful and sinful. So there's more that he says here, but I want to stop and and speak to that. And it's you know we're all human. When I was younger, I had a I had a quick temper. I mean it was it was pretty quick. And then after I become a Christian, I pushed so hard to get away from that quick temper. I, I went the other way, and I had to find the balance. You know everything in in life is about balance. So you know it says be angry and sin not. It's an anger is an emotion that God expects us to have, but He says sin not. So you can be angry, but you have to control yourself. Self-control is the key to that, and having balance in how you approach those things is is very important. It says, but the Bible requires self-control of those who would please God. Job five and two says, for wrath killeth the foolish man, and envy slayeth the silly one. Proverbs 14 and 17 says, He that is soon angry dealeth foolishly, and a man of wicked devices is hated. So if you're soon angry, you don't often think things through. Like when I was younger, I got angry pretty quick. Nowadays, I really think things through. I give it a lot of consideration. And you can still make me angry, but it ain't as easy as it used to be. Um, Proverbs 14 and 17, that's what we just read. Proverbs 16 and 32 He that is slow to anger is better than the mighty. So being slow to anger is better than a person that's mighty in stature or mighty mighty in his ability. If you're slow to anger, I would believe that being better than being mighty, it gives you time to slow down and think and process what's happening. And he that ruleth his spirit, uh, then he that taketh the city. 
Now this one, y'all, y'all couples don't be looking side-eyed at each other when I read this one. Proverbs 25 and 24, it's better to dwell on the corner of a housetop than with a brawling woman in a wide house. So that's always a funny verse. Ephesians 4 and 32, And be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. Colossians 3 and 8 says, But now you also put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy and filthy communication from out of your mouth. James 1 and 19 and 20, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Of course, this is again, this is coming from the Winton Commentary, all these verses. Controlling our temper is for our own good, but for the good of others and the church as well. So the next thing, back to our verses there that we read, love thinks no evil. What do you think that means? Love thinks no evil. When he says that, what do you think he's meaning by that? Yeah. Yeah, love thinks no evil. So a person that is, I guess, very suspicious of those around him, if he's always thinking that somebody's out to get him or somebody doesn't have his best interest, and, and living in the world today can cause you to be that way sometimes. It makes you doubt your fellow man. But the proper love, the love that we should have amongst ourselves, we would think no evil automatically about each other. We would give somebody... Uh, room to operate, I call it, where people have the opportunity to make decisions and interact with you and give them a chance to see how they're going to treat you or how they're going to be with you. So you don't think evil automatically um, that way. Does not rejoice in iniquity. That seems simple, but what do you think that means? If you have the proper love, then you don't rejoice in iniquity. What about if you hear an evil report about somebody at church? Have you ever heard that? Have you ever heard a story told on somebody at church that they fell into some kind of sin? I think most of us have had that experience. So that would not make you happy if you have the proper love. Love bears all things. It says, Love teaches us to be strong and steadfast and to bear up under all circumstances. Much of this passage deals with our attitudes toward other people and God. This attribute deals with their own spiritual self. Think of it this way, and this will be a you know something that'll you guys will it'll click. Mothers endure many things during the course of their lives. They bear up under the stress of pain and pregnancy and delivery. Their children sometimes disregard their instructions, ignore their sacrifices, and think nothing of all they do for them. But why does the mother endure that? She's went through labor, the difficulty of birth. She's done everything that she's done to get this child here, but then the child doesn't accept instruction sometimes. It it cries. It doesn't appreciate getting up in the middle of the night to take care of it. And as it grows older, you have to teach the child those things. But why does the mother endure that? It's love. That's a simple answer. So it's the kind of love that she has no matter what. She She still takes care of this child. The mother's love enables this, and because she loves that child, even when they're stubborn and their ears are broken, she bears that burden. All right, who else?
Who else endured a very difficult time on behalf of a lot of other folks? Jesus. Yeah, Jesus did that. So He endured the cross silently. He endured the shame and the agony, being spit on, being struck in the face, the crown of thorns pushed on His head and nailed to the cross, and He did it because of a genuine love for God and a love for us and all mankind. Love believes all things. Love causes us to maintain an open mind if we love a fellow Christian. We'll accept what He tells us unless a good reason arises to the contrary. It does not encourage gullible or not, uh, gullible or being naive. This characteristic of love leads us to be ready to accept that which evidence supports after a fair-minded examination. Love hopes all things. The characteristic, this characteristic of love emphasizes optimism or hope. The only ones with the right to be optimistic and full of hope are faithful Christians. Hope is compromised of desire and expectation. We cannot have hope for something that we do not want to obtain. So what he's saying is, you know, you can't, you can't hope for something that you don't want to obtain. If it's not obtainable or you don't want it, then you don't have the hope for it. And we cannot hope for something that we have no reason to expect to receive. Uh, certainly eternity can be optimistic, except uh, concerning eternity, only those can be optimistic that have faith in God. Love endures all things. Uh, the Greek word here for endures uh, is, comes from a word that comes from a military term, and it means to sustain an assault. Now, that's a pretty drastic word, isn't it? To, to abstain and assault from someone. You know, sometimes people can be really cruel and mean, uh, and, it, and it's difficult dealing with them. A lot of times you're stuck beside somebody in the workplace and you can't get away from that person. Hard to have love for them in that situation, but you need to have love for yourself and for God and enough respect for yourself that you can try to navigate that in a proper way. And again, go back to where it's not a, it's not a perfect formula or perfect science. We're all going to fail and fall short or have struggles, but we need to try in our love for God and His Word and for the reflection that we would have on each other as the church would drive us to, to be able to work through that. Um, the next section of verses that I'd like to look at is in Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 18. Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 18. Verse 9 says, Let love be without hypocrisy. What do you think that means? Love needs to be without hypocrisy. Yeah. So, what if you think that you're close to somebody and they're really kind to you and you think that you've got this relationship with them, but then that changes and you can't figure out why? Well, either something's happened, and if nothing's happened, then that person wasn't really genuinely your friend, I guess. We, we go through those things sometime in life, and it's just what we have to do. It's something that we're going to experience, I guess. So, what he's telling us is that we don't need to be that way. Uh, we don't need to be have a love that has hypocrisy. It says, Abhor that which is evil, cling to that which is good, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, having uh, giving honor, in honor giving preference to one another. So be kindly affectionate to one another in brotherly love, 
in honor, giving preference to one another. What do you think that means, giving preference to one another? Say that again. I think when you say it there, uh, giving the honor, I think you mean referring a brother mm. rather than someone who is not a brother. Yeah, that's right. It could also mean putting your uh, fellow brother above yourself, right? Or ahead of yourself. So, yeah, two good definitions. All right, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, and serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope patient in tribulation, and continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints and giving to hospitality. You know, I think where we're positioned here, being close to tech and we're in a neighborhood that has a, you know, a lot of uh, apartments and condos and homes around us, I think the opportunity to do benevolence and show hospitality to our neighbors, I think the opportunity is going to be a lot better here than it, it would have been a lot of places that we could have been. So... Um, you know, that's, that's something that we could look forward to and love our community. Uh, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. So it's pretty difficult to bless someone that's, that's persecuting you, isn't it? I mean, that's, that's hard to take. Uh, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Uh, be the same mind toward one another. And what do you think that means to be the same mind toward one another? Does it mean we all have to think the same thing or we all have to agree completely? Doesn't, does it? But we've got to have the same end goal. We've got to think about what's best for the church. It doesn't necessarily mean that we all have to think the same thing. Like I was saying earlier, there's, you know, with all the change that we've got, we're still making this building ours and working on the grounds and trying to establish ourselves here. We've done a lot in, in, in a week. Today makes a week since we got the keys to the building. So, you know, we don't have to all see that part the same, but the end goal is here is that we, we thrive and we do well and that we're a healthy congregation and we continue to grow. I believe we'll do that. So the goal is what we need to keep in mind. Uh, do not be wise in your own opinion. The latter part of that verse kind of bears that out. Repay no, repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. It, um, if it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peacefully, peaceably with all men. If it is possible, is it, is it possible to always live peacefully with everyone? It's just no, not, is it? it? It can't be done. That's why it says here, if, if at all possible or as much depends on you, live peacefully with all men. So as much depends on you, a lot of times you have control of a situation like that, so don't, don't uh, I guess, encourage it if things aren't going well with someone. It says, bless and curse not. And the common reaction that a man of the world has towards someone who attacks him is to return the same to him, like an eye for an eye or a tooth for a tooth. It's what the world around us sees. Um, it says that as the Apostle teaches in a very practical way in this passage, instead of returning blow for blow, uh, we are to uh, bless the attacker. And by blessing the attacker, it, it's someone that is verbally attacking you, the blessing might be that you simply walk away. You don't really have to engage that person. The situation is considering, the situation he is considering is in one which the saint is being persecuted for righteousness' sake. 
All right, the next verse we want to look at is Ephesians chapter 4, verses 31. If somebody wants to read that when you get there, go ahead and read that. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31. Um, go ahead and read 32. And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. So let all bitterness and wrath and anger, that's, that's a lot. There's a lot of stuff there that he says. It's a mouthful of things that he's saying to let go um, and put that away from you in malice and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. So he gives that comparison. The next one is Colossians 3, 13 through 16. When you get there, somebody that wants to read that can go ahead and read. What uh, are you first? 13 through 16. Colossians 3, 13 through 16. So a lot of times we, we hear about, you know, verse 16, uh, let, the word, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. We talk about that verse a lot because of the, the musical side of it where we're supposed to teach and admonish in psalms and, and uh, hymns. But the first part of that verse where it talks about love, bearing one another, bearing one another and forgiving one another, you know, he wouldn't be telling the church at Corinth this if they didn't need to hear it. They wouldn't have recorded it in the Scriptures, if we also didn't need to hear it this many years removed. You know, every congregation has issues, but if we know these verses and we know what God wants us to do ahead of time before we get into these kind of spots, then it can help us a great deal knowing what's coming and being prepared for it. Because it's, it's, a, it's a given that eventually, like I said, we're going to get into normal situations. We're going to have things happen. We're going to have to talk it through and decide as a congregation like we have all the way up to this point. Um, We've got to remember how much that we love each other as we work through this. Uh, let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you recall in one body and be thankful. So there's, there's a reason, like 1 Corinthians chapter 12 describes the church as the body of Christ, but one of the best ones happens to be that we realize that we're all equally important and that all tied together uh, spiritually, much like the body is connected and experience everything together. Um, I was thinking about an example of this, and I thought like, if you eat a well-seasoned steak, when you eat a well-seasoned steak, the rest of your body's pretty happy that your tongue has those taste buds, right? Or you wouldn't, you wouldn't have that experience. So the whole body is dependent on that tongue 
to be able to taste that steak. If we smell something pleasing or if we see something that makes us happy, then we're glad that we have a nose to smell and eyes to see. Uh, if we stump our toe, what happens? Everybody, everybody in the body pays attention to that toe. So as we go along, we're going to have members that's going to have issues. They're going to have struggles. They're going to have uh, things happen in their families. They're going to hurt. And you know we're going to, we're going to be there with that member just like if someone uh, hurts a part of their body, then the body focuses on that member at that moment. Uh, likewise, we rejoice together. And if one of us is sad, we're sad together. If we, if we grieve, we grieve together. And we laugh, we laugh together. And if someone's sick, we focus on them and we pray for them until they're better. And none of this is possible, though, if we don't love each other like God wants us and requires us to do. So you see from reading through these verses, you know, God wants us to love each other, but it's also a requirement. So if hard times come or we have struggles or, you, or we have disagreements amongst ourselves at all in any way, we've got to remember that God requires us to love each other because it's the best thing for us, our fellow man, and it's the best thing for the church in general. So that's why he's laid these things out. Yes. Sometimes it's hard to love the person, but you need to love their soul. You need to realize that they're a soul and that they deserve that. Anybody else got any more verses about love? So when I put this together, I finished it last night pretty late and didn't realize, I guess, early enough that Don and Josh would be out of town. So this is really what I have up to this point. So I guess I'll open it up to questions or comments. If anybody have any questions or comments? Which one? Yeah, it's it's been hard for me. the The older I've gotten, the more experiences I've had, and the more that I guess people have mistreated me. I think it's a natural reaction to pull back a little bit and be more guarded. So you know, again, it's a balance. But if you 
if you really have a love for your fellow man, you've got you to look at it. Now, now, folks outside the church, you don't know them. You've got to give them a certain amount of benefit of the doubt. But everybody sitting in this room, if one of us comes up and tells the other one something, we should believe that to be factual at that moment and not have a distrust in them. We should give them that room. So if you have a love for the church and each other like you should, you should, you should give them an opportunity until proven differently. Yeah. To jump into it and then uh, go on and do something that maybe you shouldn't do until you find out the facts about the situation. Yeah, that's right. That you know for sure. And also, uh, oftentimes, in the, and this is talking about in the church, there is times where brothers will offend brothers. And Matthew 18 brings about that instance right there. Mm-hmm. Uh, You know, those verses prove out that what they're talking about in that verse, the individual that they, that they had went to, it was substantiated. It was factual because there were multiple witnesses. So that goes back to, you know, proving things. You know, small trivial things you don't have to worry about, but if somebody comes to you and tells you something that's significant, um, you know, take them for their word, but be mindful of that and, and check it out. Um, anything else? Somebody want to read that? First John chapter 4? Is it long? Yeah, well maybe don't read that. All of it. So look at 1 John chapter 4. It's about 740, so we're getting pretty close. Is there something in particular, Patty, in 1 John 4 that you... Any other questions or comments? When you talk about proving all things, at the first of the first John, it says, uh, when it talks, uh, I guess, about uh, the truth being taught or whatever, Beloved, be not, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Yeah. So, as far as uh, proving things, some people, and 
Yeah. Yeah, love doesn't make you blind, does it? Shouldn't. All right, that's all I have. Um, thank you for uh, your participation and your comments. And like I said, I didn't have too long to prepare. Usually I like to have a little bit more put together, but it seemed like that worked out okay.